you have your Bibles, let's uh, hold those up. I'm a child of God. <clears throat> I have in my hand the powerful Word of God. It can help me in times of trouble. It can lead my paths straight. It can show me how to be saved. It can show me how to love my wife. Love my husband. Love my children. You didn't know where I was going with that. So, Lord Jesus, today, as we open your word, speak to me. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, high five, pound your neighbor, whatever you do. <clears throat> Mainly, uh, turn to your neighbor and hug him, would you? Hug your neighbor right quick. There you go. If you're sitting next to your wife, well, kiss her if you want to. That'd be fine. If you're not sitting next to your wife, uh, probably shouldn't kiss her. So, okay. <laughs> but we live in some uncertain times. We live in a culture that is, um, at best, difficult. Uh, we've got people in need, and the needs are growing by, by day. Layoffs, more layoffs, job security, I'm not sure that you can call it that anymore. Uh, even if you've been with a company a number of years, there's no guarantees in our day and age, is there? So we have to rely on our faith. And I want to share with you over the month of March, I mean, excuse me, over the month of February, uh, a series of messages about getting right. There's four thoughts we want to have with that. I want to get right with God. We'll talk about that today because that's really ultimately the most important part of any uh, aspect of our life is that we get right with God. And when we get right with God, then we want to get right with our prayer life. We want to make our prayer life more meaningful, more uh, profound, more active. Then I want to talk about getting right with sin. Not that we don't understand sin. We all understand it real well, but we want to get right with it. Because there's a way you handle sin and a way you don't handle it. And then lastly, I want to talk about getting right with our relationships. Because it's important that our relationships deepen. It's very important that our relationships be connected. Because we live in a time when we don't know each other. We live in a time when we're not sure who's doing what and we're going where. And it's important that we connect to each other. And by connecting, we can do so much more for the kingdom of God. I would imagine that it was a beautiful fall day when Solomon gathered the people of Israel together to dedicate the temple. They had worked long and hard to erect a permanent and a magnificent structure with which the house, uh, the, the Ark of the Covenant could be housed. The day finally came and arrived for this temple dedication. The people gathered, and we read Solomon's prayer earlier. I want to go back over it again with you. In 2 Chronicles 7, in verse 1, Solomon prayed this prayer. When Solomon finished praying, fire descended from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. I don't know about you, and I don't know about Solomon, but if it were me standing there, and I were in his shoes, 
that would have to be one of those unforgettable experiences. It would have to go in the uh, uh, backlog of my memory as very unforgettable. It's much like the foxhole experiences that soldiers have. Whenever the bullets and the bombs and the grenades are just, just flying all over, and you hunker down in that foxhole, it's been reported that there are no atheists in foxholes. <laughs> you somehow get right with God because it may be your last breath. And so I would assume, and if it were me and I were in Solomon's shoes, I would be fighting every way I knew how and striving to, to find every way I knew how to be right with God. And after this demonstration that God had just shown them, it definitely would have gotten my attention. <laughs> and it just boggles my mind that fire fell from heaven and that His glory, it says, filled the whole place. Filled the whole place. And in my wildest dreams, I cannot imagine God filling any place. I can't imagine it. But it said the glory of the Lord filled that place. It teaches me and hopefully teaches you what happens when a person gets right with God. And there's several things that happen when a person makes the choice to get right with Him. First of all, that purifying fire of God's presence makes that person holy or makes those people holy like God. God has always used fire to identify His presence and to purify His people. To Moses, God spoke through a burning bush. He said, you're standing on holy ground. To Elijah, he consumed the altar and the fire from heaven. And he proclaimed among others and among other things that this Elijah was a holy man. To the first few believers in Jerusalem, God visited them in a violent blowing wind and tongues of fire, announcing that these were holy people. To Solomon, and to the worshipers at the temple, God came as a fire from heaven, consuming the temple. And it stated, made a, a, a huge statement, that this was a holy place. People who are right with God are separated from the world. They are holy. Jesus prayed that all of His followers would be separated from the world. In John chapter 17, verses 15 through 19, it says, I am not praying that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also send them into the world. I sanctify myself for them, so they also may be sanctified by the truth. When you're connected to the word of God in a real honest, genuine way, then you find sanctification coming into your life. He used the word sanctify in this John 17 passages. He used the word sanctify three times. He was truly calling them and us to be separated, to be holy, to be sacred. Peter wrote it this way in 1 Peter 1. 
But as the one who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all your conduct. For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. So holiness is a vital part of our walk with God. People need to sense that we're different than the world is. You see, this is one of the greatest opportunities for the church. Now that the whole world is in financial collapse, the church is in its greatest position. Because it's in the church that you find hope. It's in the church that you can find help. I'm getting calls almost every day. People needing help for rent. People needing help for utilities. People needing help for food. And we give them food. We'll give them all the food we can give them out of our pantry and we'll try to reload it. But we don't always have money for rent. We don't always have money for utilities. But we do the best we can with as many as we can. Because that's what you want us to do at the church. If I had unlimited funds, I'd help them all. I guess I went into Chase Bank just a week or so ago. Chase Bank took $25 billion in October from the first bailout that went around. At least I knew where $25 billion of it went out of the $350 billion that was given out. It went to Chase. So I went into Chase and I said, that money was my money. Part of it was my money. And they said, well, that's true. And I said, well, I have a small loan with you guys. And I just need enough money back to take care of this. I'm, I'm not sure how, if they've stopped laughing even today. I said, well, what are you doing with the money? And they all looked at me and said, well, we don't know what they've done with the money. I said, well, see, there you go. Even more reason why you should take care of this for me. So I'm going to leave this here with you, and, and hopefully I'll see a zero balance in it soon. What do you think they did? Exactly what you're doing. Exactly what you're doing. Because you see, they have separated themselves from us. They took the money and ran, didn't they? And you know what? We go to the cross and we take salvation. And then we, rather than change our lives to what he wants us to be, we run away and keep living the life that we want to live. Hmm. We've got to be separated from the world. The law of physics states that two objects can't occupy the same place, and it's true in the spiritual dimension as well. Sin and God cannot, cannot occupy the same place. A person who is right with God has confessed their sin so that God resides in their heart. Sin can't stay there. Well, but preacher, I keep finding sin in there. Ah, ah, so are you holy? Are you separated from the world? Have you distanced yourself from sin? The consuming fire of God secondly compels them to worship God. In our text in 2 Chronicles 7, and if you don't have your Bibles open there, you should be there by now. In 2 Chronicles 7, I want you to look at verse 3. Notice what the people did. All, the, all of the Israelites were watching when the fire descended from the, and the glory of the Lord came on the temple. They bowed down with their faces to the ground and the pavement. They worshiped and praised the Lord for He is good, for His faithful love endures forever. Wow. They fell down to worship God. There will be a time, the Bible is very clear in this promise, that every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess 
that Obama is Lord. Easy now, easy. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that George Bush was Lord. <laughs> that Jesus is Lord. Amen? We can put labels on anybody we want to put them on. The bottom line is that there will be a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. So if you're in the process of confessing Jesus is Lord now and praising Him as Jesus is Lord now in your life and living it that way, it's not going to be a problem for you in the end, will it? But if you haven't really done that, hmm, <laughs> could be interesting, could be interesting. People who are right with God have fallen in love with God, that God of the universe, and they will meet Him in His consuming glory. They long to meet God in worship, they know that worship does not lead to an encounter with God. It is an encounter with God. Do you long to encounter God in worship? Does your heart seek to respond to God's glory, to His greatness, to His goodness? Thirdly, the spreading fire of God leads them to witness of God. The nature of fire is to purify and to consume Another nature that fire has is that it also is set to spread. God not only wants His presence to consume us, which would result in our worship, but He also wants His fire to spread from us into the hearts of others. An intimate connection exists between worshiping and witnessing. Because if you've been in the presence of God, you're going to tell somebody about it. Right? You've been in that you've been in that service. You've been in you've been listening to these these songs or or some word that you heard preached or proclaimed. Pow! Boy, it hits right in your heart, and you've got to tell somebody about it because they go hand in hand. The goal of our witnessing produces worshipers of God, and at the at the same time, worship provides the motivation for witnessing. Worship produces a desire in us to tell others about Christ. Solomon said it best in verse 14 of 2 Chronicles 7. And if my people who are called by my name humble themselves, pray and seek my face and turn from their evil ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. If, if, is the biggest two-letter word in the English language. The destiny of people, of families, and nations hinges on that one little two-letter word. The statement was a word from God to Solomon. Verse 14. Following that temple dedication ceremony, the temple symbolized commitment to worship and to partnership because the temple became the focal point of everything they were about. All worship was done at the temple. All focus of spiritual things was at the temple. It was all there. It's much like we have with the church today. Is that unfortunately, we tend to believe that the building is where all, all the worship goes on. When the temple of God now is us. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are the temple of God. He resides in us. And some of us need to do a little better job of taking care of this temple. Can I get an amen? amen. 
The responsibility for spreading the flame of God's forgiveness and the healing rests squarely on the shoulders of those who hear the message. He was saying to Solomon, you're going to be my man of the hour. I want you to take the message. He's telling the children of Israel that you're going to be the people of the hour and I want you to take the healing power of Scripture and the healing power of my word to the nations. However, Israel didn't do that. They kind of huddled up and said, mm, I think I'll just do what I want to do. But when one is right with God, they can't help but tell others about the glory, the greatness, and the goodness of God. Witness of God is a natural outgrowth of one who is in love with God. Remember when you first fell in love with the person that you married? You couldn't tell, you couldn't tell enough people about that relationship. I mean, you were talking to them all the time. You, or now you'd be texting them all the time. And I love Facebook because Facebook is a running virtual diary of everybody's life. And it's fun just to read through some of that stuff. And especially our teenagers. I love to see some of their posts that they put on there. Because you can tell if they're in love and if they're not in love. and If they're having a bad day. If they're having a great day. And I've tried to post stuff on there, and nobody comments about my posts. <laughs> Probably because they're so lame, but that's all right. <laughs> you know, yeah, like my greatest, my, my, my biggest post this week was I got to get an upgrade on my rental car. <laughs> Whoopee! Yeah! So, well, to me, that was a big deal. <laughs> okay. All right. But if we were to conduct a spiritual audit of our lives, I would ask you three questions. Are you separated from the world? Are you responding to God in worship? And thirdly, are you a faithful witness for Christ? I don't want you to answer out loud, but those are valid questions for you to wrestle with. But what does it take for us to be set on fire? Fire cannot be ignited when it is in, in an environment that is hostile to combustion. We, to be on fire, must be composed of combustible material. That's why they've made flame-retardant clothing, flame-retardant whatever, so that if a fire does break out, not everything burns up. But God would want you and me to be very flammable. He would want fire to break out on us. And the way that that happens is really no secret. He, God will give us that formula. He does give us that formula for starting fires in our heart. And the way for God to get a grip on us is found in this verse. Verse 14 of 2 Chronicles chapter 7. Take a look at that verse. Is it, is it back here? Awesome. All right. If. Skip a few words. Humble themselves. Skip a few words. Pray. Skip a few words. Seek my face. And then the next phrase. Turn from their evil or wicked ways. Now I want to look at each of these. Because the first one is how God can get you on fire is you take responsibility. Take personal responsibility. Getting right with God is your responsibility. You, if you're waiting for me to help you get there, if you're waiting for one of the elders or one of the deacons, one of the Sunday school teachers, one of the youth workers, 
It's your responsibility. Bill Hybels preaches to one of the largest Christian churches in, in the world, out of uh, in South Barrington, Illinois, outside of Chicago. And they began to do a spiritual assessment. They, they have 20,000, 30,000 people every weekend in their services. That's a lot of folks. And they began to do an assessment of, are we really being effective in the way we're approaching this? And they discovered that they weren't. And then they had the courage to stand up in front of all of those people and say, we've been doing this wrong. In fact, we've been doing it so wrong, we're making wholesale changes on how we approach this. It's your responsibility to pick up the, the food and eat it. We've been trying to just open your mouth and push it in with all creative ways that we could come up with. When in essence, what we need to do is to put the Word of God out on the table and have you invite you to come to the table. And then when you come to the table, you're going to be more apt to eat the food. Hallelujah. Wow, does that take tremendous courage to stand up in front of that amount of people and say, we've been doing this wrong. You think they lost people over that? Sure. You think they'll gain more people over it? Oh, no doubt. Because the focus now is coming back not on entertainment, but on the power of the Word of God to transform lives. Are you with me? Because it's not about entertainment. You see, we can have the, one of the largest churches in Jinx if we decide to have one of the largest churches in Jinx. We can. But that depends on each of us. Being on fire, doesn't it? Fire has got to spread. But we've got to take personal responsibility. Because he says, if. If. Secondly, he says, if we will humble ourselves. Humbling ourselves is a statement of position. When we humble ourselves, we bend low, we prostrate, we fall to the ground. When Jacob went to see his brother Esau, it says that he fell to the ground seven times before he ever got to him. Because he humbled himself at each step. At each falling, he was humbling himself. When's the last time you went to the cross... Folks, that cross is up here. We leave it up here. If during a song service some Sunday, some song just grabs your heart and you think you want to go up there and get on your knees by that cross, go on. If at the end of the service when we offer an invitation, if you just believe that God is just moving in your heart and touching you in a special way, get up and do something about it. Don't sit there and be the same old way you've always been because you're going to get the same result you've always gotten. Which is nothing. Because you quenched Him. Don't quench the Spirit. Let that Spirit knock you over. Well, preacher, we've never done it that way before. Hallelujah. Wouldn't that be a breath of fresh air? To do something different. Ladies, wouldn't it be great you've been married 20, 30, 40, 50 years? And he comes in bringing roses to you. you know, you're first of all going to have a critical mind. Hmm, what's he up to? What's he done? Yeah. But what if he comes in and says, baby, we're going out to eat tonight. He puts on that cologne he doesn't usually put on. You know he's in trouble. He's done something he shouldn't be doing, right? That's where a mind goes. That's old Satan playing. Boy, won't you just roll with the romantic moment for that, would you? Just roll with it. Roll with it. It may never happen again for another 50 years. But so roll with it. Wouldn't that be fun? 
Guys, wouldn't it be great if she called you and said, I need you to hurry home. What happened? What's going on? House burned down? <laughs> she said, boy, I'm on fire and I need to see you. What are you going to do? Hang up the phone? Well, he'll wait till five. I'll guarantee you, you're out of there, man. You're out of there. You go to your boss and say, man, I got a crisis at home. I'm out of here. Because you really do, because you don't act that way very often. Are you with me so far? Well, when the Holy Spirit moves you, when the Holy Spirit prompts you, when the Holy Spirit touches you, move on it. Move on it. And it may be just as simple as coming and getting on your knees to pray. See, that's what it may be. But there's just something powerful about that response. Humbling yourselves. The root word of humiliation and, and humility is humus. And it means dirt or soil. So we meet God best on our knees. On our knees. And like two sides of the same coin, a humble person not only sees himself or herself as they are, desperate, lowly, but they begin to see God as He is. Majestic. Omnipotent, gracious. We see a God who humbled Himself on the cross so that He could be in a relationship with us. Take personal responsibility. Humble yourself before God. Next in our verse, spend time with God. Because He says, if we humble ourselves and pray. Prayer indicates a relationship with our Creator. We tend to pray when we're in trouble. We need to have a constant attitude of prayer. We need to have prayer such a vital link in our life that it's so obvious that we're a person of prayer. When something happens, boom, it's just instant. I'm going to pray about it. I'm not going to fret and fume. And I'm going to pray about it. We're talking about that in one of our Sunday school classes. Is the, is the power of prayer and developing that prayer life to make it more effective and uh, I can't encourage you enough in that area. A, a statistical uh, study was done and it revealed that most evangelical Christians spend less than 10 minutes a day in prayer and Bible reading. So how can we say that we are right with God if we aren't even in conversation with God? And then, fourthly, we need to long for God's presence. It says... Seek my face. And that shows intention. Intention. It doesn't say, if you'll notice, seek my hand. Too often we seek God's hand for what He can do for us. Most people come to the church saying, well, what's in it for me? This. I remember talking to Coach Trimble at, at our, our football pro, pretty successful program, I'd say. He had a potential... Uh, student athlete sitting in his office and, and he, he looking around our facilities. We didn't have the Sharp building at the time and so we were pretty, I guess, behind the times. When you go over to Union High School and they had the, you know, all their stuff, he, uh, just is true. And so he, uh, he looked at Coach Trimble and he said, well, what do you got to offer for me here if I come play football for you? And, and he really didn't have a big building or, you know, any fancy stuff. He looked at the trophy case where there were uh, six state championship gold balls, and he said, uh, I guess those. You see, what does God have to offer you? Salvation. What does God have to offer you? Salvation. Is it pretty? No. 
Is it glamorous? Mm-mm. Is it forever? Yeah. Yeah. That's what he's got to offer you. Oh, we need to long for his presence. If you want to get right with God, don't just seek what God can do for you. Seek God. Peter Lord said this, a great quote. If we only seek God for what he can do for us rather than seeking him for him, we are spiritual idolaters. And then we're to walk toward God. Take personal responsibility. Humble yourself before God. Spend time with God. Long for God's presence. And then lastly, walk toward God. When he says, turn from your evil or your wicked ways. And it shows the direction of our walk. And that's toward God. The theological word for turning from our wicked, sinful, unholy lifestyles and walking toward God is the one word, repentance. Repentance means to turn around. It is to say, I'm going in the wrong direction. I need to turn from my wicked way. The practical word repent is useful to describe the moral and the spiritual act of getting right with God. We say to people all the time, how, what, they'll say, what do I need to do to become a Christian? We usually get to the phrase repent, don't we? Repent. And they don't know what does repent mean. It was a military term used in the New Testament day. When the soldiers would be marching, the commander would yell, repent! And they would stop and turn and go the other way. It's the same word picture for you and me. We're to stop in our sin, stop and turn and go the other way. The Bible says flee from evil and you might have to literally run from evil. Get away from it. I have to run away from the buffet line. They're evil in there. I hear them talking to me when I drive by. I can be... 50 yards to 100 yards away on the street corner waiting to turn the corner. And I hear the buffet table saying, Hey, preacher. And I turn the radio up. I can't hear it. I can't hear it. And I hear that voice, Preacher. And as I drive away from it, I hear it going, You're wasting your time, preacher. We'll get you later, preacher. (laughs) Only to come to the next corner and what's there? A pizza buffet. Are you with me? He never leaves us alone, does he? He's always after us, isn't he? And so what do we usually do? We give in and go in, don't we? Sure. Sure. Oh, God understands how weak I truly am. I could go into a buffet place and eat, can't I? Sure. But like my doctor said, you take them serious. Don't go in there. (laughs) <laughs> when it says all you can eat. He says, you take them too serious. i got to remember that. Because you see, really, it's all about repentance. It's about changing the way we are into the way we should be. Are you with me? Repentance is the act of changing the direction of my heart. There's a Greek word, and I'm sure I'm butchering it, but monte oio. <laughs> I'm sure I've butchered it. But what that Greek word means is to change one's mind, to think differently, to turn one's heart away from sin and turn it toward God. That's what that Greek word for repentance means. Repentance is an act of your will. A choice on your part to literally turn around. 
One of the saddest scenes is the burning embers of churches that have been burnt to the ground. What if we saw similar headlines? Church on fire! And that headline was related to its members demonstrating a purity of holiness and intensity in worship and a passion to witness. Wouldn't it be awesome if that fire of God's presence fell on people in extraordinary measure? Wouldn't it be attractive if our church is caught on fire and we're willing to spread God's message to the community that we find ourselves in and beyond? You know what would happen to, to us, don't you? People would come and they would watch us burn. I read the story of a young boy who grew up in a small Alabama town. He remembered hearing the fire siren atop the town's water tower. He would wait for the sound of the fire truck to see which direction it would speed off toward the blaze. And then something amazing and interesting happened. There would be a parade of cars following in hot pursuit of that fire truck. Some to volunteer, but most to just simply watch the fire. Cindy and I lived and the boys lived in Kenmundy, Illinois before we came to Jinx. They had a community fire department. And they would occasionally take old houses and burn them down. But they would announce to the community that today they're going to burn this house down. And it was the most amazing thing. We had people calling us from the church and, hey, you're going to go to the fire today? I looked at Cindy and I said, what do you think, babe? She goes, Okay. How many people would come by and get us and say, oh, we're going to the fire? And so we came out and they said, do you have your lawn chair? I said, uh, 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 yeah. Got the lawn chairs. And here we go. We got down to the city park because this old house was across the street from the city park. So the volunteer fire department would come in and burn it down and put it out. And there's a hundred people sitting out there with their lawn chairs and their coolers and waiting for the thing to catch on fire. And I mean, they stayed till the thing's out. Is that not amazing? But wouldn't that's exactly what would happen if the church was on fire. People would come and watch it. They would come and watch it. Oh, I pray, I pray that our church would be on fire. Because see, church buildings would not attract many people, but fire in the hearts of holy people who worship and witness, it will. Christians who carry large Bibles won't attract many people. But people who are right with God, it will. Is your heart aglow? Are you on fire? What steps do you need to take to get right with God? Father, we ask you this morning. God, I ask you this morning to move through your people here. We need so desperately to be a church on fire that the community around us can see the fire. Because God, they'll come and watch. And when they come and watch, we've got the opportunity to witness. You see, Father, you laid on my heart a few years ago this very question. If our church didn't exist today, would anybody in this community even know that we weren't meeting. 
And God, we need to wrestle with that statement. We need to wrestle with that thought. Are, are we so on fire for you that it's obvious to the community or are they just driving by us going, hmm, another church? Oh God, would you grab hold of our hearts if your people who are called by your name will humble themselves and pray and seek your face Turn from their wicked ways. Then you will hear our prayers from heaven and will heal our land. But God, our land is right here at 300 North Elm. And if we can't get this part healed, how can we heal anybody else? So God, would you today do what you do best? Would you move in each of us in a very special way? The cross is at the front. The chairs are here at the front. The carpet is on the floor. Father, there's an opportunity for people to respond. If they're here and don't know you as their Savior, we'd love that opportunity to teach them so they understand what that means. Perhaps they've been a Christian for a number of years and are looking for a church home. And We're not perfect people here, but we're forgiven and we're going to do our best to love them the way you do. Maybe they just want to join a church. It's like that. And then, God, I know there's a group of people here that just are carrying burdens beyond their ability to bear. And they just need prayer support. We don't even have to know what it is. Just that they need the prayer. And we'll be a part of that. Whatever, Lord, needs to happen today, would you do it in the lives of your people? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand.